0: Better days, there may be those whose life is raised, each life of to Father, Son, and unto Thee. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Can this bird live? It's a question I found myself asking recently because, as many of you know, the Tenettis have become amateur backyard homesteaders. And we have eight chickens, had eight chickens. And uh, one of them recently was looking a little bit sick. And sorry, kids, it's a trigger warning for you here. Um, And I could tell that it was really struggling. It was in some misery. And so we knew we're going to have to do something about this poor chicken. And so, of course, I got onto the Google to see, okay, what's the most humane way to put this chicken to its untimely end? And it turns out there's a, there's a lot of ways to kill a chicken. Um, some really creative ones, actually, if you're interested, I'd be happy to talk about it with you more. But it was clear that the simplest, quickest, most humane way to put an end to the chicken was to remove its head from its body. So I went out and I got the poor bird and I got my hatchet, my sharp hatchet, and took it out into the back, and just like Abraham on Mount Moriah, you know, my arm is shivering as I raise it, and but then I drop the hatchet and the head removed from the body, and you know what happens next, because you've heard about it if you haven't seen it. Both the head and the body start flopping around all over the place in things that will stay in my nightmare for years, Okay. (laughs) But see, that chicken, that dead chicken, it still had the form of life, but it did not have the breath of life. It had the form of life, but it did not have the breath of life. Even as it was still flopping around, it was just like the walking dead, or the flopping dead, as the case may be. Walking Dead is the vision that the prophet Ezekiel received in the Old Testament reading we heard a few moments ago from Ezekiel 37. Now, Ezekiel is prophesying to God's people in exile. So, just a little bit of background there. This is when the Israelites had been led out of Israel, out of their homeland, because of their persistent rebellion and breaking faith with God until finally the day came that God said, okay, you are leaving your homeland. And they were forcibly taken out of their home, driven hundreds of miles away into Babylon. And this was a great and grievous loss for the people of God, not just because they lost their home, but because they also lost the temple. They lost their place of worship, the place of sacrifice, and ergo of their relationship with God, that sense of forgiveness, the atonement that they had between them and the Lord. And so there they find themselves also without the monarchy, with the king, with the the line of the Messiah, all these things funneling together. So there, as Ezekiel is prophesying to them, they are a people that are landless, kingless, hopeless, Life lives. And so God gives Ezekiel this vision, this bizarre vision of a, a valley of dry bones. And I think maybe in our mind's eye we're picturing something like Death Valley, right? Hot dry, just pile upon pile of all of those bones. You can just kind of sense the lack of life in the place. All those bones piled high, and Ezekiel is looking around, and the question gets asked, that plaintive question, can these bones live? Well, The answer would seem to be obvious, like, no, of course, they are dead as a doornail. These bones will not live. They're even worse than a chicken with its head cut off. They are not coming back. But God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over these bones, to speak his word. O son of man, speak over these bones. And when Ezekiel does, a remarkable thing starts happening. Those bones start rattling together. And the, the ligaments, the tendons are rewound. The skin forms again. And all of those dead, dry bones are coming back together to make this great army of individuals that seem that seem to be alive. See, because this is where it gets even stranger. You have all of these people seemingly brought back to life. They have the form of life. They've got the skin. They've got the the bones. But there's one thing they lack. The ruach. It's this great Hebrew word, variously translated as breath, wind, spirit. They've got the form of life, but they don't have that ruach. They don't have the breath of life. And so even standing there, that army of people, they're just the walking dead. You know, Ezekiel, he saw that vision 2,500 some years ago. But I think it still speaks powerfully and relevantly to our day-to-day. Armies of people who have the form of life But who lack its breath. Let me give you two statistics that, in some ways, kind of mirror each other, but both speak to this lifelessness of our age. So, think back to a couple of years ago. Pre pandemic, for the first time in more than a half century in our country, we had three consecutive years of declining life expectancy. There was three straight years in our country where life expectancy was actually going down. This happened, hadn't happened in our country since going back to the World Wars, right? And again, this is pre-pandemic, all right? And you think, oh, how could that possibly be with all of our, our medical advances, with all of our technology? How would it be possible that today, in the 21st century, that we would actually be going down in our life expectancy? And there's all the natural answers that you would look for, like all of the big C's, right? cancer or coronaries or car accidents. But all of those have been stable. They didn't account for why the life expectancy was dropping. So then as researchers went down into it further, they saw that there were some things that were growing, increasing, and in fact at a startling rate. Suicides. Drug overdoses. uh, People who have died from the uh, effects of alcoholism. And researchers kind of lumped all of these different kinds of deaths together into one category that they chillingly titled Deaths of Despair. This is why the life expectancy has been falling. Deaths of despair. People with the form of life but without the breath, just giving up the ghost way before their time. But there's another number, another statistic that you may have recently heard about in the news as well that also speaks to this. At the other end of life, that this past year, the United States hit a record low for new births. A record low for new births. And you might think, I mean, some of you, if you grew up in the 70s, you might be thinking, well, is that so bad? We were told when we were growing up that, you know, people were just going to start falling off of the earth here pretty soon because we are so overpopulated. That hasn't happened, thankfully. Thankfully. But be that as it may, now we are at this point where it's at this record low, and that too speaks to the lifelessness, the hopelessness of our society. Because people aren't even having babies, because why even bother to bring forth new life into this lifeless world? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen what I'm talking about. Maybe you've even felt it yourself. When you see kids with that kind of sullenness in their eyes. Young adults who are already world-weary, giving up. Middle-aged people who are just kind of muddling through, or retirees who have no sense of purpose. All of them, if I can use a single word for it, all of them dispirited. Dispirited. Having the form of life, but losing that ruach, that breath, that spirit. It's everywhere we look, and it's everywhere around us we have this sense. Well, you remember that? classic rock song from the 70s, I think it was Kansas, We're nothing but dust in the wind. Some of you could sing it, right? I'm not going to ask you to. That message has made its way home to the hearts of too many people. All we are is dust in the wind. All we are is a little lifeless speck of dirt floating along for a little while and then you die. What good is it? What work, what, why bother even living at that point? Deaths of despair are rising. Why bring new life in there? Because all of us have this sense that all we are is dust in the wind? No. No. We sang a hymn a minute ago, and thank you guys for bearing with me, humoring me and one of the hardest hymns in our hymnal to sing. Thank you, choir, for leading us in that. You know how pastors are. They're always choosing the really tough ones because they like the words. This is a great instance of that. Because in the first verse of that hymn, we hear, O God, O Lord of heaven and earth, thy living finger never wrote that life should be an aimless moat. Which, it's interesting, that hymn was written by a hymn writer by the name of Martin Fronsman And he wrote this hymn right at about the same time that Kansas was singing about how all we are are aimless moats. Dust just drifting on the wind, Martin Franzman says. No! That living finger never wrote that life should be an aimless moat, Ugh, that we would just be drifting, a deathless drift from feudal birth, like we're just a, a cork that's floating along on the river until we go over the waterfall down and die. No! that is not who you are and that is not who god made you to be not to just be some lifeless creature that's playing out the string not living but just waiting until killing time until you die that's not what god has created us for but instead he has sent forth the lord and giver of life his spirit and that's what this day is about pentecost ezekiel has his vision of the dead dry bones And that question, can these bones live? Not according to any normal human rationality. But God says, yes. When I send forth my spirit, when I breathe my ruach, I am able to bring these bones to life. Just as he did once upon a time in the beginning of creation. When God breathed his life-giving spirit into the the formless clay and brought forth Adam out of the Adamah, when he brought forth the first man out of the ground, so he does again in Ezekiel's vision. The Son of Man breathes that life-giving breath, and now it's not just the form but also the breath, the life. And that's what happens at Pentecost too, see? Christ Jesus came into our world, to absorb our poisoned air, to breathe our unholy halitosis, our sickening spiritual pneumonia. He took it all into himself. And then, in the world's greatest air ventilation system, He took it with him down into the grave, down into the tomb. And there, our Lord Jesus, by dying and coming back from the death, he has recycled that deathly, poisoned air. And instead, now on Pentecost, breathes his life-giving spirit, breathes again that Ruach that is able to bring forth life out of death so that we are no longer the walking dead, but now we are the walking living who are imbued and filled with that life-giving Ruach of the Lord. Every single one of you, at your baptism scene, your baptism was your own personal Pentecost. When that spirit blew through you and claimed you as your own. Today, Sam and Lucy are being confirmed, confirming the gift, the promise that God made to them, his life-giving spirit when they were baptized, giving you also that promise that as you have received the spirit of the risen Christ who came up out of his grave, so you too will be brought forth out of your grave. So a day is coming, perhaps today, when Christ Jesus will come, when the Son of Man will breathe his life-giving breath and the bones will rattle, bone to their bone, God will rewind those ligaments and tendons, put on fresh flesh, and make you new in his life-giving spirit. Now I could stop right there with this vision of our future hope that these bones will live. But I want to make clear that's not just a future hope. It is a present promise for you and me. We are not the walking dead. We are not aimless moats or dust on the wind. Who are you? You are spirit bearers. Who are you? You are life givers. Luther says that you are little Christs. Little Christ, it's not blasphemous. To be a Christ means to be an anointed one. And you too have been anointed with God's life-giving spirit. And now you go out into the world and you breathe God's life-giving breath in your vocations, in your homes, in your families. God sends you out to bear and bring that spirit to your neighbor To speak to those who are the walking dead and say, it doesn't have to be this way. We're not meant to be zombies just walking around until we die. We're not just killing time. But instead, you have a God who died for you and came back in order to breathe his life-giving breath. So that now you are those life-givers, those spirit-bearers. Can I get an amen? amen? And when I think about what that looks like, I think about my friend Jim, who has since passed away. But Jim was this wonderful man. He was Scottish, had a a great brogue, and like Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. He came over from Scotland, and he loved to tell stories about his time in Scotland, and he was an ice skater, believe it or not. He loved to go ice skating all the way up into his 70s. He would still go down onto the pond in the wintertime and do his triple axes maybe not that, but have a great time. He was just one of those guys that when you would talk to him, he was a life giver, right? You know those people that when you walk away from them after having that conversation, you feel better about life and sometimes says about these people, they're the kind of people that lower your blood pressure when you talk to them, right? That was Jim. So in his later years, he suffered as so many people do from dementia. And his memory started to go. But I recall I was having this conversation with him toward the end of his life, and we were just kind of, he was was telling me about Scotland, he was talking about his exploits on the ice and all these kinds of things, and I made a mistake, it's not the last time I made this mistake, but sometimes as pastor I'm having a conversation with someone and I can even know that they're struggling with dementia, but I'll ask them about some memory, I'll ask them to recall some date, or when did that happen? I did this, I don't remember what the specific question was, but I asked him to recall something in the past, and When I asked it, as soon as I did, I felt bad about it. I could see Jim kind of struggling, wrestling, grasping for that memory, but like he was just trying to to grab the wind. And you can imagine in that moment, it would have been easy for him as it would be easy for any of us when you're struggling to do that, to think, you know what, who cares? Life isn't worth remembering anyway, I'd just as soon forget it. Or just to get angry and frustrated, as happens often too. But that's not what happened for Jim trying to to grab that memory, and when he realized he he knew that he wasn't going to be able to get it, he got this glint in his eye. And he looks at me, and he says, Oh, Pastor. It all moves so fast. Life is so much fun, isn't it? Life is so much fun, isn't it? Jim had this perspective, that life, as much life as we get, though filled with sorrows and struggles and pains, at the end of the day, oh, it's fun, isn't it? We get to be filled with God's life-giving breath and to live with that promise and hope of what is yet to come. And so I quote once more from the hymn, O Spirit, who didst once restore thy church, that it might be again the bringer of good news to men, Breathe on thy cloven church once more, that in these gray and latter days there may be those whose life is praise, each life a high doxology to Father, Son, and unto Thee. Sam, Lucy, this is my prayer for you that you will lead lives that are a high doxology. That all of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, will lead lives, life-giving lives, bearing the spirit to others, because these bones can live. They will live. They do live. And while they do, it's fun, isn't it? Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer. Corbin Lopez, who's the future grandson-in-law of Kristen Kim